Well, I invite you to turn with me in the Bible to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament there, the fourth book in the New Testament. John chapter 17, this is the high priestly prayer where Jesus is praying for an extended uh, length of Scripture. You'll see throughout the chapter, there's a lot of uh, red ink there, if your Bible has that in red, of Jesus praying for who he desires for us to be as a church body, for how he desires God to work in our lives. He's interceding for us. And we're continuing today again this series we're entitling Seven Year Vision Stream as we reach uh, this seven year marker as a church body and are looking forward to what the Lord is going to do, the exciting adventure that he has us on for the future. It's a good time for us to look at who we are, what are the core values, the core things that we hold to and celebrate as a church body. Where are we going to to plant that stake, if you will? And we looked the first week at grace and how everything's got to flow. Uh, for every church, hopefully, out of the mindset and reality that God has given us this free gift of his love for us through Christ that we don't deserve, that we can't earn. That's a blessing we simply take out our hands and receive by faith. So we saw grace is vital. We saw the second week, a couple of weeks ago, that that produces not only faith of believing certain realities about God and entering relationship with God, but it also produces faith in action where we're actually taking steps in areas of our life where we're uncomfortable and where the only way that that something's going to happen there is if God meets us, if God sustains us. So faith in action, we saw. And then last week, we hunkered down on the idea of truth in teaching, that we are a congregation that believes that the scriptures are from God. They're God's word to us. We recognize them as true and therefore, everything that we believe about God and everything that we're called to do and be flows out of that. We're looking to God's word for that. We want to be a people of the book, so to speak. So we've seen those three uh, principles so far. And this week, what we're going to do is take a look at a, a next, a further element of that, the idea of connecting in community. And I think you'll see pretty quickly as we read just a couple of verses from John chapter 17, verse 11, and then verse 20 to 23, how what Jesus is praying, uh, how it challenges us and should shape our vision for the unity, the connection, the body life that we have as, uh, as believers in Christ. So read along with me silently as I read aloud uh, John 17, starting at verse 11, Jesus prayed this. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me that they may be one, even as we are one. Then verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you and me, folks, today who believe in Christ. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them, even as you loved me. Let's pray again. Heavenly Father, 
thank you for the beautiful things laid out in your word, including the beauty of connecting in Christian community, uh, living lives as one through Christ. Oh, Heavenly Father, give us a greater apprehension of the beauty and glory of this reality today and let us move towards it more fully in our lives because of who you are. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've been around me for anything more than five minutes, perhaps, you probably would categorize me as a relatively low culture guy. Uh, Maybe to your surprise, in fact, I would be someone who's amazed at good music, impressed with skilled artwork, and I've even gone to the Nutcracker Ballet a few times. But I'd have to confess, and it is a confession, not a celebration, that that's about as far as I get into what we might call the arts. So I'm kind of amazed when I see those things, when I listen to powerful songs, when I see a wonderful painting, when I watch that sugar plum fairy glide across the stage. I recognize, and maybe you do too when you're in those settings, something at work. Maybe we could think about it this way. The voices, the instruments... The sound adjustment converge in a beautiful song, and we recognize the composer behind it. The colors and the textures and all of that come together in the paint on the canvas, and we're compelled by the artist. We recognize skill there. The uh, costumes, the the stage, the the dancers, the stage backgrounds are in motion and we're impressed by the choreographer. Folks, this is the picture I think that John is inviting us to as he relays to us Jesus' high priestly prayer. And invites us to see in the body of Christ, uh, through you and me, believe it or not, A beautiful choreographer, an amazing artist, one who's putting together something called the body of Christ that when we see it among each other and when the world around us apprehends it, God is displayed. God is displayed. The choreographer, the artist, the musician, the composer is displayed. So we look at these verses today and we start to think about this kind of picture of the body of Christ. Before we even sort of get out of the gate, we're going to stumble a little bit. And so I want to talk for a second about why we need to look at this. Obviously, Scripture teaches this idea of connecting in community, the unity of the body of Christ. So that's a good reason to to look at it. But we also need to look at it because we really struggle with it, don't we? When we think about just our own posture, even towards fellow believers in Christ, we, we know, I know in my life, these critical attitudes that rise up in relationships. The self-righteousness that's often there just below the surface for me in relationships with others. 
discouraging comments. Maybe it's not just internal, but it comes out in what we say, spreading of bad reports, perhaps. And in general, a sort of apathy about the body of Christ, about those that are in our church family, either here at Cross Creek Church or in the church universal around the world. Of course, we not only see this in ourselves, if you've been around the block for a little while in any kind of church setting, you know that the church bodies struggle to show this kind of love and have this sort of connection. There's a reason Jesus talks about it, because it's tough for us. The, uh, the story of the man on the deserted island is probably one that's familiar for us on this topic. Uh, you remember hearing it, perhaps the, the uh, man had been there for years and years. Finally, his rescuers show up one, one day. And uh, as he's preparing to leave this deserted island, he, he wants to show them around a little bit. And so he takes them uh, up on the hill and there's three structures that are there. And he tells the rescuers, he says, you know, this one here, this is where I lived for, for years and years all by myself in isolation on this island. He said, now this one over here, this is my, my church where I, where I worship. And he kind of stopped talking and started to wander off. And the rest, one of the rescuers said, well, well wait a minute. Uh, what about that other building, that other structure that you made on this deserted island? And the guy said, yeah, that's the church I used to go to. When you think about our church bodies and trying to stay in a loving, connected relationship with one another, just think about, be honest, think about your uh, small group, if you've ever been in a small group, men's or women's study, or even just some kind of small Sunday school gathering, maybe a life group. And think about all the dynamics that are going on there. We like to uh, have this beautiful vision of what God could do, but let's be honest about what we think. As we're gathering together, we, we recognize in any group there's different personality types, right? That's just the way God's wired us, but sometimes those things are like great against us. Different backgrounds, people coming from different sort of church settings for one, and, and different cultural backgrounds, and, and different places around the country and around the world, and those we bring all of that with us. Different theological frameworks, sometimes people are sharing, and they're just, they grew up in a different framework and understanding, or maybe some have been in a relationship with Christ for a while, maybe some are new to Christ, and it, the dynamics there are manifold, aren't they? So, we need to, be refreshed regularly in our vision for what God wants to do in community, because there's a lot of barriers, aren't there? Internal barriers we see corporately, uh, all sorts of barriers. The passage today really conveys to us this main idea, and if you want to follow along, you can turn to the sermon notes section in the back of your worship guide. I'd maybe encourage you to do that a little bit more today, even than, than if you don't normally do it, because there's several quotes that I'm going to reference as we uh, as we go through this. But the main idea is just this, that since Christ is in us collectively, that's important. He's in each of us individually, but it's easy for us in a highly individualized society to forget that Christ is in us collectively as a group, that we should connect in community through him, through him. Our scriptures today are going to talk about that in a number of ways, but I want to Say this right off the bat, it's easy because of the things I mentioned to be a little bit cynical about this. 
And maybe even some here are already sort of checking out, right? You've been disappointed by Christian community. It hasn't lived up to what you thought it was supposed to be. Uh, Maybe you're new to it and it's already disappointed you or you've got decades of time. And you you sort of want to check out and say, I don't see it, Pastor. I don't see this idea of beauty and glory and God being reflected. You know, that's that's kind of where we are today. And and that cynicism is is a tough one to to address. But let me let me read just one section of Scripture that maybe helps us see that this is a this is something we really ought to run towards early in the church. Now, not everything in the early church is a perfect model. They have their struggles. But we do see in Acts chapter 2, you can turn there if you want or just listen. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. A neat picture of what this might look like. What some elements of this connecting in community could look like for you and me. It says in verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves, this was the early believers, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. So they were spending time together, spending time in God's word and praying for each other. We know at least that. And all came upon every soul. So something awesome happened is sort of what it's saying there. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. It's not an advocacy for some form of communism. You see that they actually had possessions and belongings, but they were looking at how they could serve and help one another practically. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. Listen to the last sentence. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Impact, external impact through this kind of Christian community. So let's take a look back at John 17. A couple of things that it teaches there we'll go through quickly. Uh, One is the privilege of Christian community. Another is the pointer that Christian community is to God. I sort of already highlighted that. And then lastly, the personal nature of Christian community, that it's life on life, not an abstract concept for us. Take a look back with me at John 17. And if we look at verse 11, we see it here that Jesus is praying. He says, keep them in your name, the name you have given me. Keep them in your name. On down in verse 13, it prays similarly that God has shown us his love, love that we don't deserve. What does that show us right off the bat? This whole thing of being able to even think about or be connected to one another through Christ, the Bible says, is a privilege. It's downstream from all of God's grace. It's flowing out of the privilege of being able to to know Jesus and be saved by him. He doesn't just save us to himself. He saves us to one another, to one another. Deuteronomy chapter 7 talks about it. We won't turn there for time, but it talks about the Old Testament people of God. And it says, hey, God didn't save you because there was anything special about you. You're not the A team. You're not the all-star team. You're not the Navy SEALs. He saved you because he wanted to show his glory and me, in me, his glory and his power and his grace. And so salvation is a privilege Christian community is a privilege that extends from that. If you've been around a while, you've probably heard me talk about Dietrich Bonhoeffer from time to time. 
I find him to be a fascinating figure of the previous century. If you know a little bit about him, he was a Christian pastor in uh, Germany in the years leading up to World War II. He was uh, part of a group, a small group, that stood out against Nazism and resisted it because of the biblical teaching and because of their Christian faith. And actually, interestingly enough, he was outside of Germany at a time when many people were, who could were trying to get out of there if they sensed what was happening and consequences for themselves. They were preparing to leave or trying to leave. And Bonhoeffer actually did the opposite. He went back to Germany in the midst of that in the late 1930s, made his way back in. And he's interesting to look at because of Christian community. He wrote a short book called Life Together. Probably be a good one. Maybe maybe in the fall we can have our life groups go go through it again. It's been some time since we've looked at it collectively as a church. But Life Together is all about Christian community. And his context is fascinating because he was ultimately martyred for his faith. But the events that led up to that are, are really compelling, too. He, he came back to Germany and he, he, of course, was trying to pastor and lead the church that was on the outs, as many in the church were caving and going along with the whole uh, program of the government at that time. The, the confessing churches, it was called, sought to stand for biblical truth and faith. So they, they were still meeting together, but they, they had to do so carefully. And before long, those meetings were shut down. They weren't allowed to get together. And then they maintained connection through a radio broadcast. That was their way that they continued to communicate and have some kind of fellowship with one another, have some sort of church experience. Eventually, that was shut down. And, of course, Bonhoeffer, we know, was put in prison. But even in prison, he sought to find ways where possible to get together with other believers in Christ in prison. So he's a guy that understands, in my mind, the beauty, the concept of Christian community, always was trying to find ways to connect and knew the strength that could be drawn from that. He said this, he says, if there is so much happiness and joy, even in a single encounter of one Christian with another, what inexhaustible riches must open up for those who, by God's will, are privileged to live in daily community life with other Christians. Of course, he says, what's an inexpressible blessing from God For the lonely individual is easily disregarded and trampled underfoot by those who receive the gift every day. We can relate to that, can't we? We live in a Bible Belt culture. And even with the shifting winds of America's views on spiritual matters, and I'm sure there's other cities perhaps like Birmingham, it's a privilege to be in a place where there is a focus on Christian community and the church body and so forth. But when you have that, you can grow accustomed to it. It gets routine, doesn't it? And it becomes unimpressive. Uh, The value is lowered for us because we have free access to it. Not only that, but it can get a little mundane, can't it? The idea of the church body doesn't always feel like a privilege to us. You say, Chris, you've got this grand and glorious picture of seeing God reflected. We're, we're sitting here meeting in an elementary school cafetorium. I'm not feeling a lot of glory and beauty right now, just the setting alone. You say, Pastor, you, you obviously haven't met John Smith over at the end of the pew. Because if you think there's any glory and beauty of God's kingdom and God's community sitting over in that end of the pew, you, you hadn't gotten to know that guy. You say, nice try, 
Pastor, you haven't been to my life group when everybody in the group forgot about what was going on with me. And I was hurt by that. Bonhoeffer urges us to have a gospel-centered view of Christian community. And the way he puts it is this. That essentially you and I, and if you don't take anything else away from, from what I shared today, probably this would be the nugget I would like for you to take with you. So dial in here for just a minute. Bonhoeffer says this, that in the same way you and I, in order to see the beauty of Christ in our lives, who he is, what he's done in saving us, we've got to come to the end of ourselves. I've got to see it, you've got to see it, that we're lost, that we're depraved, that we're desperately needy for redemption. And that's what, then we see Jesus, and Jesus is beautiful. In the same way that you and I do that individually, listen to this and think about it. He says we have to have the same experience in the church body, in Christian community. Where we deal with one another and we recognize there's disappointment, there's not all the love that we would like to have, And that we've disappointed others and we haven't loved all the ways that we should. And we look around and we say, there's something greatly lacking here. And yet Jesus is in our midst. Jesus is redeeming us and redeeming our community. And that's the beautiful thing between you and me. What a powerful thing. If we would begin to look for Jesus in one another. It would give us great strength. Not to... Not to necessarily look past the, the disappointments and whatnot, but to look through them to something more glorious. Well, how do we do that? What are some ways we can, can do that? One, I'll just mention Romans 12, verse 4 and 8, says this. It, it advises us and encourages us. A way to enjoy the privilege of Christian community is just to serve one another. To serve one another. See a need. It might be an emotional need. You realize somebody's having a hard time and you just take the time to send them a text or give them a phone call. If you have to, you know, like, like I have to so much, you know, put a reminder in your phone. I need to call that person and check in on how they're doing. Serve in that way. Uh, maybe it's getting involved in some kind of ministry area, but using your gifts to pour into it, then you begin to see the beauty of it. Don't be just a consumer of the privilege of Christian community. Be one who, in your own way, in the way God's gifted and blessed you, that connects and serves. That'll help us see the privilege of Christian community. I'm going to move through our next two points real quickly for us. One I already talked about a good bit in the opening of the message, and that is that Christian community is also, it's not just a privilege, but it's a pointer. It points to who Jesus is, who God is. You see it in these verses, don't you, folks? It's, it's all over the place. Verse uh, 21, it says that they may be, I'll be one, just as you, Father, in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. It's kind of hard to read all that, but it says this at the very end. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The end of the uh, verse 23, very similar. So the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. What's Jesus' hope for the church body? Not just that we would see the privilege of it and pursue a deep connection with one another, but the world around us would look and would see that and say, because of how Christian communities lived out, there's something beautiful. There's something beautiful in who God is. And so a question for us today as a church body, it's a tough one, is 
You know, what are we pointing towards? What do people see when they see the community of Cross Creek Church? Hopefully they're beginning to see some of who God is. Bonhoeffer says, you know, this is tough. And so if we want to see this thing happen, where uh, people around us are compelled to come to Christ because of what's happening in our community, we got to pray. So first point is we got to serve. Second point is we've got to pray. He says this. He says, a Christian community either lives by the intercessory prayers of its members for one another, or the Christian community will be destroyed. He explains it. He says, I can no longer condemn or hate other Christians for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble they cause me. In intercessory prayer, the face that may have been strange and intolerable to me is transformed into the face of one for whom Christ died, the face of the pardoned sinner. Hopefully all of us have had a little bit of that experience, right? Maybe some of us in a close friendship, some of us who are married, we've had that opportunity in that sort of community to be disappointed by someone, to see that's not there, and then you begin to pray, and God softens your heart. He does a work. He does a work. Bonhoeffer invites us to be doing that, praying that way as a church body. We've got that list, you know, in the Creek Week email. I know what the stats are in people reading emails. I just I was at a church planner meeting this week, and that was one of those marketing things that they were talking about, how to get the word out about it. They said, nobody reads emails anymore. I get it. I, I would plead with you that if you don't read anything else in the little weekly email that we send, and I know we're all busy, so you might not have time right when it comes, but take a moment. And one of the things we try to do, in addition to putting a few key announcements at the top, is there's a separate section of prayer. And it's not going to always cover everything. Sometimes we forget to pray for things that we ought to be remembering. But it's going to have some things that we would invite you to pray for. Take some time. Pray through those and see what God does in your heart and life and in our Christian community. So prayer as an expression of the the church body being a pointer to God. Last thing I want to say, community is also personal. It's face-to-face It's life on life. Let me read a couple of scriptures for you. First John chapter one, verse six. If we claim that we have fellowship with him, that's with God. And yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. Here's the contrast. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, what happens? We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us. From all sin. You know, folks, the vertical relationship with God is always connected with the horizontal relationship with one another. They are intertwined and connected. We can't have just the one and not the other. They're always intertwined and wrapped up. John is telling us that. Well, what do we do about some of the things? You know, we live in a culture. In fact, my boys were asking me uh, the other day. Uh, you know, so how, how do we how do we live this out? This idea of face to face life on life. Well, the Bible talks about it, it says love. We love one another. So we, we serve, we pray and we love. That's tough, isn't it? Because we're divided by all sorts of things. And yet we're connected through Christ. This morning in Sunday school class, one of the things we did, we prayed for different churches in our community because it's not just about what God's doing in Cross Creek Church. We're just one part of God's kingdom. So we recognize we're connected beyond just our little church community. 
We're not the only show in town. The other churches aren't the only show in town. We're working towards the same goal. And that, that doesn't mean we ignore the differences that we have. Sometimes there's place for disunity, right? Where truth is at stake, where something we value is really vital, then we, we take a stand and we camp, uh, camp out on it. But for many of us, we, we know Jesus. We know we're going to get to heaven and we'll probably find out some things about the way the Presbyterians did it and the way the Methodists did it and the way the non-denominational did it and the way the Baptists did it. And, and we're going to probably all get some correction from one another. So we show grace, even if we have reasons for our convictions and our ways of pursuing things. That's that's love lived out. Some final questions for you. I think these are in your worship guide. Just to kind of bring this home. What uh, what's your opinion? What's my opinion? This is this is getting right to it. No, no punches being pulled here today. What's your opinion of the most the person in this church body that you find most difficult? It won't it probably won't be hard for us. There'll be somebody around here that grates on us or disappoints us or whatever. What's your what's your opinion and perspective? Own it. Take it in. Think about it. For some of you, it's you know, you're thinking about me. Bless you. What's our opinion of other denominations, of believers from other backgrounds? How do we view that? What are we doing in the midst of that to tangibly show unity, to do something, to serve, to pray, to to love? What are the roadblocks and how is the gospel message vital to this task? It's interesting. uh, One of my boys, I'll close with this, has been um, has gotten into this origami thing. Uh, it's mind-numbing for me to even watch him do it because I don't have that sort of precision and, and so forth. He, he made something not too long ago that had like 280 pieces of paper in it. They were all like this big, so, you know, paper doesn't come like that. So he had to cut all of the pieces of paper out the, to that size. And then before they were linked together, they all had to be folded two or three different ways. So I helped him do like 15 of them, and that was all I could do. <laughs> that was the max I could handle. But it, it, was, it was interesting because you couldn't really quite see what it was going to be. He had a YouTube video that he was pulling from, so I guess he could see where it was headed. But I couldn't figure out, okay, what is this thing going to be? And, and he's done, you know, made little flowers. He's done all kinds of things. This was like a, a big egg, basically, a, a sort of Easter egg-looking thing when it was done. But as it was going along, you couldn't tell what it was going to be. But each of those little pieces fit together into that really cool-looking thing, beautiful-looking thing when it was done. Maybe, folks, for us, that's a picture of what we are as the body of Christ. Those little pieces and, you know, some of us may be more glamorous or more impressive than others, but each of us is like a little tiny sheet of paper. But when you put them together, it can be something really beautiful, really, really cool. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of calling us to yourself and calling us into community with one another. I pray that one of the things that would mark our church and maybe even be a distinctive is a true depth of community. And that means, Lord, we've got to have forgiveness and grace. The reality of Jesus has got to be really big and and growing in our lives. And so we pray that that would happen. And Lord, then through some amazing work of how you do it, that even in our flawed selves, our limited selves, that we would be a pointer. Other people would see through the prism of what you're doing in our, in us collectively, the the amazing one that you are and be drawn to you. And we pray that we would find some real tangible ways to pursue that through serving, through praying, 
and through loving. In Jesus' name, amen.